Welcome back to DC EKG, where we are continuing our discussion with Eric Euland and Charlie Hooper, expert on drug development and the Food and Drug Administration. So, Charlie, one of the things, that, uh, a recurring theme from your book, Should the FDA Reject Itself, and some of the op-eds that you've written over the years is this idea that the uh, United States has the best pharmaceutical development ecosystem in the world, and it has led to a tremendous uh, increase in the longevity uh, and quality of life for American citizens. And and frankly, you get into it for the world um, as you use the HIV example and how we've transformed HIV care by donating HIV drugs overseas. Um, let's talk a little bit more about the Democrats' new drug price fixing scheme and how it might affect cancer care because they've done uh, two areas – They've done two things in in this bill, one for biologics and one for small mo- molecule drugs. They have given small molecule drugs nine years of exclusivity before the government's going to negotiate or impose a price. And they've given biologics 13 years of uh, marketing exclusivity before they Im- they impose a price or negotiate. Now, the previous bipartisan construct came out of the Republican Orrin Hatch, Democrat Henry Waxman, that blo- caused a tremendous blossoming of innovation and also the generic industry. Um, some people are arguing that this new construct is going to really ca- hurt cancer care because so many cancer drugs come on the market with one indication, that is for one type of cancer, one use to fight cancer. And then over, as they're getting deployed in the in the medical setting, they get a second indication or a third or a fourth indication, and they get more exclusivity. They can market exclusively before facing generic competition. How do you see it? I mean, do you see this as really impacting cancer care, which, you, as you mentioned in your book, has been a miracle of American science and uh, innovation? Yeah, um, good points, Joe. Um, But first of all, the reason that the American example um, is so successful, it's not that the the drug companies are here. So drug companies are are based all around the world, you know, Switzerland and Japan and England. Um, But it's really the American market that's special. And so uh, that's because we're a big country, we're a wealthy country. Um, and we have a relatively, relatively free market um, in terms of healthcare, whereas in other countries the government um, takes takes a big role in negotiating drug prices. And so, drug companies, when they look at developing products, they look at the American, you know, the U.S. market first, and it's really a necessary and sufficient condition for the success of a drug. You know, can it make it here? If it can, they'll develop it, and if it can't, they won't develop it. Now, the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, um, as you pointed out, and and you pointed out a lot of the good reasons for it, could have a a detrimental effect on the development of drugs for uh, cancer. And and a big part of that is, you know, those drugs are expensive to develop, there typically aren't that many patients who can benefit from them. So therefore the prices are typically pretty high. And as you mentioned, um, you know, once you get one 
uh, indication, which is one type of cancer that it, it, that drug helps. The companies then look at all these other uh, indications, other cancer types that they could treat, other types of patients. So one of the most successful drugs out there right now is uh, Merck's Keytruda. And Merck has just been looking, you know, testing Keytruda in, in all these different cancer types and patient types. But what that relies on is market exclusivity because you have to be able to pay back that investment that you've made or at least have a pretty good expectation that you'll do that. But now drug companies aren't going to be looking at their at their patent life or their market exclusivity. They're going to be looking at that date when um, the, the you know CMS negotiates their price, at least for um, for patients who are older within the Medicare system. But of course, as you can imagine, a lot of cancer therapy is in older patients because that's typically when when patients get cancer, and so. Um, companies are going to be saying, okay, well, if if our price is going to be negotiated in, say, you know, five years from now, we're not going to put the investment into looking for other, you know, cancer types or patient groups that that we can treat. It just doesn't make any sense. And so as a result, is it the case overall, as you kind of point out, the potentiality for new drugs for, for cancer might reduce over time? But also, is it possible we'd see a skewing of focus because while cancer is predominantly expressed in older middle-aged or older people, there's still a, a rather large cohort of people who suffer various cancers uh, when younger. If there's a bias towards trying to create cancer molecules for older people, even with these price challenges, is a potentiality for fewer drugs over time for cancer to be developed uh, by the pharmaceutical industry for younger patients? Yeah, I think there's going to be a, a bit of a shift in focus from older patients to younger patients. And that's just because the older patients are going to be, those drug prices will be exposed to the CMS negotiating, but for the younger price, uh, younger patients, they won't. But this will have a, a chilling effect on drug research and development overall. <clears throat> and um, How so? Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, so um, drug research and development <clears throat> is phenomenally expensive, and the probabilities of success are low. And so companies are already looking, they, they look ahead, they, they look at how much additional effort they have to put into developing a drug, the chance that it's going to get accepted by the FDA, and then you know how successful it'll be on the market. And if the drug doesn't make economic sense, they'll they'll just drop that that drug and they'll they'll try to find another one to work on. And so this you know, the, the Democrats are, are very excited that they, you know, they beat big pharma and, you know, that they're going to, you know, negotiate the prices and the prices will come down. Well, that, you know, it, it, it's like a balloon and you squeeze it in one area and it just bubbles out in another area, you know, or, or to use, you know, there, there are unintended consequences of these things. And, and drug companies are just going to find it less profitable in certain patient segments to develop these products, and so they won't develop them. And that's a huge, huge loss to, to us um, Americans and, and actually everybody around the world because 
you know, this country funds basically drug development for the whole world. Um, and then a lot of other countries around the world basically free ride off our investment in R&D. But the reason this will be a big deal is that um, researchers have looked into the value of, of drug R&D. And so um, Columbia University economist Frank Lichtenberg has looked at this, and he's come to the conclusion that three quarters of the increase in life expectancy we've enjoyed in the last few decades has been due solely to our adoption of, of modern, you know, newer modern drugs. Um, so, you know, that's huge. And so if, if you actually price it out, if you, if you look at the amount spent on drug R&D versus how much uh, longer people live on average, it turns out that it's $2,000 put into R&D allows one person to live one year longer. And that's, that's a phenomenal investment. Um, and so if, if, you know, the Democrats like, uh, um, you know, supporting industries and, um, you know, especially industries that are R&D intensive um, and, and uh, subsidizing them. And I'm not suggesting that they should do that, but if they, if they honestly looked at the, um, the pharmaceutical industry, this would be one of the best industries that they could uh, support because the, the benefit from R&D is just so phenomenal. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Merck's Keytruda. I mean, this is, just for those who aren't familiar, this is the drug that saved Jimmy Carter's life, right? I mean, Jimmy Carter had a brain tumor. People were writing his epitaph. Um, he was treated with, with Keytruda, and he's still alive. You know, I mean, how many years ago was that? Uh, it's remarkable that he's still kicking. There's a former president whose life was saved by a best, you know, best care in the world. He gets Merck's Keytruda um, and has lived and contributed for a number of years, um, was still volunteering until recently uh, for a number of charitable organizations. Um, when you think about this, uh, return on the investment for R&D, um, the, the cancer example specifically, uh, you can have, and you get into this some in your book, you can get a, a number of different drugs for a specific indication, right, in a specific therapeutic area. So you can have, say, for lung cancer, a number of different drugs that target it, or for hypertension, if we want to switch to um, uh, heart problems. Now a drug gets negotiated at nine or 13 years. Uh, let's suppose I've got drug A, it gets negotiated at, at nine years. I'm nine well, years of exclusivity. Exactly. Nine years after nine years of, after getting, uh, approved by the food and drug administration, the second drug, this in the same therapeutic class, say it's only been on the market for five years. I'm trying to think through what happens. Like this first drug gets reduced by 75 to 95% of its price. The, the second drug hasn't been reduced. Maybe they're going to discount more, but maybe they, they're figuring out, look, we're only going to make a profit in the last four years of, our, of being on the market. There's, we're we're going to scrap the program because these guys beat us to the race. And then now there's only one drug in that therapeutic class before there was competition. Do you see less innovator, comp or am I seeing this wrong? Or do you think there is the possibility we're going to see less 
innovator competition for different indication and therapeutic areas. And as you get into your book, that's a disaster because Keytruda doesn't work for everybody, right? It could work for Jimmy Carter, but if I have the same thing, maybe it doesn't work for me. Maybe I need a different drug or Ewan does and you do. Not all these drugs, contrary to what many people believe, are 100% effective for everybody all the time. And this is something we don't fully understand. So I threw a couple things out there. I'm just wondering what your reaction is to this because I'm still trying to figure it out. Yeah, so... We, uh, my company, Objective Insights, does a lot of forecasts for companies that are developing drug drugs um, for different therapeutic areas. And one thing that we look at is the competition, and specifically, uh, you know, what's the current price of that competition? How widely is it used? How successful is it? But if there are generic products in that market, or some of the competition is going generic soon then the price of those products is going to drop dramatically. And so uh, entering into that market could be more challenging if, if you're going to be compared against that price, that you know, the product that's already gone generic and the price is lower. So that's already something that drug companies think about, and, and they're less likely to develop a new product for a, a market that's gone heavily generic. That That's happening today and it's been happening for, for a long time. The new wrinkle is that you, you don't just have to think about the patent life or exclusivity. You now have to think about, um, you know, how the prices are being negotiated. And for, uh, you know, the, the Medicare segment of the population, that's going to be the CMS price negotiations. And so, if you're going in and and you have maybe one primary comparator, the, the product that you compare yourself to, and they're going to be negotiated, that product's going to be negotiated by CMS, and it's going to be whatever you know, like you said, seventy-five or ninety-five percent discount. Um, that's going to affect your potential for success because you're going to look less desirable compared to that product that's that's going to be so cheap. Um, so that definitely will have a, a chilling effect in certain uh, situations. And, and what that means, a chilling effect, means that drug companies will be less likely to develop products that will compete in that area. And that's a huge, huge problem because, as you pointed out, Joe, that um, most products don't, they, they aren't 100% effective, or they aren't effective for 100% of the patients. And so, especially in oncology, in cancer care, um, some of the more successful drugs are only, you know, maybe help 20, 30, you know, 40% of the patients. And so you need to try, you need to have the ability to try different products to, to successfully treat these patients. So you have a full suite of options to, you know, depending on what the clinical indications are and the efficacy, absolutely to be able to mix and match drugs or alter the drug treatment in order to be successful is key. And in a world where this price control scheme ends up reducing the number of options for people afflicted with a cancer or cardiovascular, uh, whatever the, the, the need is, um, there's obviously going to be a significant uptick in deaths and a significant reduction in quality of life. And that's something that will take time to express 
will need to be tracked and people need to be much clearer about the sorts of trade-offs that were inside this bill that rushed through Congress in August. Right. I'm sorry, Charlie, were you going to say something? Oh, no, I, I think that I'd made my point, but, um, you know, Eric, you raise a good point. Um, you know, politicians typically have pretty short time frames. You know, they're just looking toward the next election or the next year. Um, but the pharmaceutical industry goes on decades. You know, it plans ahead decades in advance. And so these problems that we're talking about aren't going to show up tomorrow, but they might show up in five or 10 or 20 years. But they're they're very real problems. They're they're going to be there, and you know then it's going to take somebody who's going to say, okay, we have that problem here, and it actually started back you know in 2022 with the Inflation Reduction Act. Right. That's uh, that's an interesting point. Um, as we had to break, you know, this summer the other thing uh, that Congress did was pass the Chip Act, which was supposed to reinvigorate American dominance uh, or competition in the semiconductor agency. It's got a bunch of tax breaks for the semiconductor industry and subsidies for R&D. You wonder if we end up 20, 30 years from now having decimated the pharmaceutical industry, having a conversation about how we need to subsidize this industry now and get back to the good old days. That would be a, a true irony of the accomplishments of this Congress. Yeah, that that would be. A sad irony. Well, let's take a break here. And when we come back, we're going to talk um, maybe a little bit more about the IRA. But I want to get into your your book, Should the FDA Reject Itself? Great. We'll be back. All right. Thank you. <laughs> 